well, one of the things that does encourage us is the singing. I was encouraged today by shaking hands with folks beforehand, and I was shaking hands for quite some time before I found a cold hand. Everybody had warm hands today. The weather's been great outside, and that's an encouragement to us, isn't it? When we see that sunshine that is coming, and it just makes us, with me, it's when I put the windows down on the car and I can hear the, the, the rocks under the tires. There's something about that first time of the year. But having said that, most of you know what month we are in still, so do not be fooled about this weather. I saw some birds this morning that were fooled. I was driving early this morning, and I saw a line of birds going straight north, right towards the Upper Peninsula. And I thought, oh my goodness, they're going to be in for a rude awakening here. And uh, somebody just recently said there's probably going to be even some more snow cancellation days uh, for the kids. And the kids aren't in here to rejoice. I know they love that when that happens. All the parents groan when that happens. But hopefully you are encouraged today. And hopefully as we look at God's word today, you will be encouraged as well. Would you bow with me in prayer? We'll ask for God's wisdom. Precious, wise, patient, giving Father, one that looks upon us as your children, that gives wonderful and perfect and good things to us. We praise you for that. We praise you there is no substitute. There is no other that could be better than you in caring for your children. And it's often that we don't quite understand what you're doing and what's happening. Help us to walk by faith have a trust that you are doing exactly what you want to happen in our lives for our good and for your glory. And now as we gather around your word, this beautiful history book of the New Testament, would you please allow us to be encouraged by it as you've given it to us and we can look at it, oftentimes look at it like a mirror and see ourselves reflected. Oftentimes we will see your promises and it will give us wind in our sails to go a little bit further. And sometimes just out of obedience and faithfulness, we'll look into it. Even though it's as we're peering through a fog and not quite able to understand, but we do trust you. And we will trust that very clearly the Holy Spirit will be involved in our midst today as we study your word. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I mentioned that we can be encouraged by warmer days like this, especially after we've gone through a time of cold weather, even a stretch of not seeing the sun, that takes its toll on us. I love the study that we're in because as we look at the book of Acts, there are so many practical encouragements that we get from this. Um, If you have been paying attention over the past several months and just in the past few weeks, let me give you some of the encouragements that we have highlighted and seen. We've seen the very practical lesson that we need to develop a category in our prayer life that allows our God to reveal himself in supernatural ways. And that's a sweet place to be. That means you're not surprised when God does something that only he can do. We've seen that from our study. We've also learned the lesson of investing in a good team, teammates in life around you to run the race that will count for something more than just the average life that doesn't know God. We've learned the lesson to learn how to get others to be interested in eternity. Of course, we need to not take God out of that equation as he's working in everyone's life. Something happens in their life 
whether it be something great or some dark times, that leads them to ask those questions and you and I need to be prepared and take them to where they will ask about eternity and be prepared to give an answer. I think I've mentioned this about one uh, friend of mine who is a pastor. He started decades ago um, a habit. Many people will have a habit of reading through a proverb a day. And that's, that's a great habit to have because there's so much wisdom in Proverbs. Maybe some of you have practiced that for some time. There's, uh, we can read through a proverb a day and it's, a, it's such an encouragement and joy to us. I have a friend who has had a habit of reading through Acts every month. He reads through one chapter of Acts every day of the month. That's the way it was when I was getting to know him years ago anyway. And he gave the reason for this. He said it's because it really, it's almost like putting fuel on the fire. And as we go through this study of Acts, there is no doubt there is fire on a regular basis. And so encouragement comes, motivation comes. There's a lot of practicality that we see in this. Having said all of that, we come across a passage like we are today. And maybe if you were in charge and putting together this book of books, this wonderful book, you would say, I'm going to leave this part out. We don't have everything exhaustively recorded for us. There's all kinds of events that took place that we don't have a record of. I like to call those the little white spaces between the lines in our Bibles. What happened there? Perhaps with your creativity and your mind, you would say, I'm going to leave a section out because it seems to be a little bit of a downer. We're kind of getting the people motivated to continue on with the Great Commission. And so when we come across a section or a situation in someone's life like this, some might say, ooh, yeah, let's, let's not add that. And so as we look at this, we need to not question the wisdom of our God and why he put this in there, because we're going to see today how God gave Paul the perfect encouragement at the perfect time. We will actually spend some time next week talking about this and add one additional encouragement. Now I say that, and I say that it might surprise some to see this added in there because of the wonderful momentum that's going in the book of Acts. How do we know that the Apostle Paul was in a place where he needed discouragement? There are several things that point to that, but let me go ahead and jump right ahead to the city where Paul is ministering at this point. And we're not going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians today, but in the book of 1 Corinthians, he writes something to them that's going to help us in our jumping off point in our message. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. When I came to you, brothers, I was with you. Listen to this description of himself. When I came to you, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, if you've gotten to know the Apostle Paul as we've studied him, does that sound like a good description of Paul to you? Trembling? And fear? That doesn't seem like the picture that I have of Paul. And yet, that's what he writes, and it's inspired. And so we know it's true. And so when we think of this encouragement that Paul needed, we understand that God put this in his word for us. As Dr. Luke recorded this, we see this here for a very specific reason, and maybe, perhaps, it's exactly what you need, even on this very day. 
Lately, my mind has been thinking about different areas of encouragement. And even if you go down to um, below elementary school and go to nursery school, I've been thinking about that old nursery rhyme, Little Jack Horner. Do you remember that nursery rhyme, Little Jack Horner? Do you remember the ending? Because there is an incredible amount of encouragement that comes. Because in a moment of impressive achievement, he sticks his thumb in that Christmas pie, and what does he do? He pulls out a plum, right? And do you remember what Little Jack Horner exclaims after he does that? He says, my, what a good boy am I. I mean, it's just beaming with encouragement, isn't it? But I think if we take and break down that elementary nursery rhyme, there's a little more to the story. You need to look a little bit deeper. You need to ask yourself, exactly why is this boy sitting in the corner in the first place? Why is that going on? And how scum this little boy has an entire pie? What mother in her right mind would let a boy have a whole pie like that? And breaking every rule of etiquette that I know of, why are his fingers in the pie per se? That's not good. And as we get to the end and see his encouragement, do you notice what he does? He gives all the credit to himself. Did you see that? He does not say, my, what a good mother I have that would make me this pie and give me this plum. He takes the credit for himself. What a good boy am I. And I suspect that most of you, like myself, have never really stopped to bother with all those specifics. We celebrate the encouragement. We look at the positive, and that's nice. Having said that, when we go through the book of Acts, there's so much encouragement and we need to make sure that we're not ignoring so many of these details, even the details that might not be very palatable at times. I think for those of you who have quite a few years under your belt walking with Jesus Christ, you're going to very quickly understand why this is added in the scriptures, why we have this. Having said that, let me go ahead and give you a couple areas where I think we can be encouraged from, from our study today. Number one is you need to be encouraged from God's plan to encourage you by friends. God's plan for you and I to be encouraged is going to be developing Christian friends. We have to stay away from that Lone Ranger desire. And many people have that. They just want to be on their own. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And that is so true. And that sharpening is not necessarily a nice, smooth, sweet experience. That iron sharpening can hurt sometimes and can be very difficult. And I have to believe that some of you would say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't really have any friends. Maybe you wouldn't say that out loud. You're not going to want to garner some kind of sympathy from somebody. You don't want a sympathy friend. Who wants a sympathy friend, right? You might say, I might not have any friends. And I would point us to Proverbs 28 or 18, 24, where it says, a man who has friends must show himself to be what? Friendly. And let me encourage you with that. That doesn't just mean that there's some niceties going on. You're being cordial. If you want somebody to invest in you, you need to make some investment in them. And you'll have to figure out how that goes. I love the illustration of relationships where we see that each friendship is like a bank account and you cannot take withdrawal after withdrawal without putting in a deposit. We just cannot do that. Someone with a more creative mind than mine said this. He said, the birds have their nests and a spider has its web and human beings have friendship. So first of all, God wants to encourage you 
by you developing Christian friendship. And then second, I think we see this clearly here, God wants to encourage you from you seeing fruit that every believer will produce. That's not an accidental phrasing. It might sound a little bit controversial. Every child of God will be producing fruit. The value of one's days is not how many days we can actually accumulate, but it's how we spend the days that we are given. And Paul gets encouragement from seeing fruit. He sees people turn to Jesus Christ. All of that to bring us to our text. If you're not already there, would you turn to Acts 18, please? Acts chapter 18. And as we turn to this passage that isn't as familiar as some things that we have talked about before, let me encourage you with this. If you're getting the theme of encouragement with our message today, that's what the theme is. God's plan oftentimes to encourage encourage us means we're going to go through some kind of a refining fire. It's a great song that goes that way. God's refining fire to make us all that he wants us to be. Clearly, in the message of that refining fire, it's not a pleasant experience. For you to be encouraged, for you to know how great your God is and also the extent of his attributes, you have to go through sometimes where you recognize how tough and dark this world can be. Now, I mentioned earlier that Paul said that he came to them in weakness and in trembling and in fear. Why might he have done this when he comes to the city of Corinth? Let me give a couple reasons. First of all, if you remember Paul's situation last week, we talked about him going to Athens. Who was with him when he went to Athens? Do you remember who it was? It was nobody. Paul was by himself when he went to Athens. That's tough. He took on those big brains of that city and he preached that sermon on Mars Hill. But I think one thing that led to him needing encouragement was the fact that he is still alone. He's by himself as far as other people go. Of course, God was with him. The second reason why maybe he needed some encouragement, and we're going to talk about this for a little bit, is because of the place he was coming to. In Acts 18, we have the record of when the gospel comes to the city of Corinth. If you've been around the Bible for any number of years, that sounds a lot like the book of Corinthians. That's who those two letters were written to, the church at Corinth. And as I went through this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this, but let me just say, as I studied this, there's a, if this makes sense to you, there's an inwardly dark feeling as I read about a town like this. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being in the presence of something that seems so contrary to all that's good, to the Bible, to the character of our God, but so contrary to the character of God that you literally felt something just eerie inside of you. I'm not sure if you've had that experience before. I know I had that experience some time back. Our family was in a place and it just seemed like there was just one particular area that just seemed to grieve me on the inside. And I have to think that's likely what Paul's experience was like here when he comes to Corinth. Corinth was a thriving city. It was a fairly young city. And it had, if you wanted to trade to go north or south or east or west, you had to go through that area of Corinth. And so it was a thriving city. There was much money being thrown around. And just about anything imaginable was available if you had the money to buy it. To tell you about the reputation of this city, for centuries afterwards, there was a verb that was used to Corinthianize 
And to Corinthianize meant to be sexually immoral. That's what that meant. Of course, they were very creative in Greece, and in those Greek plays, they would oftentimes have someone from this city, from Corinth, that they would represent. The city was over a half million people, and so sometimes a person, a character, would make it into one of their plays. And it's interesting that just about every time they had a Corinthian, it was portrayed as a drunk person. The person was actually drunk in the play. Homosexuality was rampant in the city. And just to give you a picture, if you can imagine this large city, there was a large hill about 1,800 feet high. And there was a building up on that hill, and it was actually a temple to the god Aphrodite, the goddess of love or the goddess of sex, if you will. And nightly, there would be a 1,000 prostitutes that would come down from that place into the city. One could buy anything if they had the money. And I think that this environment itself would be so discouraging. Aren't you glad you don't live in an environment like that? You know, what I think of, when I think of that, and sometimes you go into a bigger city or where there might be danger and I literally just grab a hold a little bit tighter of my daughter's hand, knowing that there's money to be made if someone snatched her away from us. Wouldn't you hate to live in an environment like that? And I think that this environment helped lead to this place where Paul was, where he needed encouragement. And then let me go ahead and give one more that I'm not sure about this, but I think it very well could be. Because as the Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey here, he was starting to see a pattern as he went and preached, right? You see what he does. He goes and he's faithful and he preaches And usually something very similar happened when he preached the gospel. Oftentimes, he was beaten. It was repeated that he was put in jail. He was opposed strongly. The Apostle Paul, I mean, when he had success with the gospel, he paid a very serious price. He was run out of town on a regular basis. So it makes sense to me that Paul, as he looks over this city, while some of us might think, my goodness, what an opportunity. These people that are so far from anything that had to do with God, what an opportunity. And I couldn't help but think that he would look around at those people and wonder, okay, I've seen it before where men lose their jobs because the gospel prevails. That brothel over there might shut down. Those individuals making those idols, they might lose business. And use your imagination. What could happen? Maybe he saw the rings on the fists of some of those men, just thinking that those might inflict pain upon him. I don't know. But typically, what happened when Paul preached was he was opposed. And it makes sense that Paul by himself, looking at the debauchery of Corinth, looking at the amount of money that some of these folks might lose when the gospel does its work, it's very possible that he would fall prey to discouragement because of that. The good news is the message does not end there, okay? God has a plan to give encouragement. We've already talked briefly about these. Let me go ahead and say these. We'll start out in the first couple verses of Um, Acts 18 and the first encouragement is God gives an encouragement of friends look at verses 1 and 2 with me after this Paul left Athens and went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila a, a native of Pontius recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to and he went to them to see them 
And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So first of all, we see that as the Apostle Paul is alone, God gives him some friends, some individuals that came from Rome. And it's interesting because we see this couple mentioned a few other times in the Bible. And something that stands out to me is that every time they are mentioned, they are not mentioned by what they received from the Apostle Paul. They're not mentioned, it's not not said what Paul did for them. Every time this wonderful, godly couple is mentioned, they are mentioned on how they ministered to the Apostle Paul. That's very unique because Paul was oftentimes on the giving end. And this godly couple gets mentioned and they were always mentioned in that beautiful light. And let me just say, every single pastor and every single missionary They need a couple like this to encourage them, people like Aquila and Priscilla. In verse three, we see that Paul would separate himself from the religious hucksters, if I can use that word. I tried to find another word that's maybe more contemporary. I couldn't find a good one. The religious hucksters. Can you imagine with the half million plus people that were there, all the religion that was there, individuals could see a chance to make a buck And Paul very quickly separates himself from the religious hucksters as he works to support himself. And I'm not going to say very much about this. I could say a lot about this. I have friends that are bivocational pastors. I know others that work and are supported and have many, many others that are fully supported to help in that work. A lot of ways we could go with this. Having said that, let me go ahead and talk just for a little bit um, about this. We see that he works, and he works throughout the week, and then he goes and he preaches on one day. What day did he preach on? He preached on the Sabbath. That was his habit here during this time. But very quickly, those new friends were great, but God would bring his old friends with him. Let's read verses 4 and 5. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul, this is important, was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So there's a change there. He goes from a point of working, being a tent maker is the word that we use for it. He was a leather worker and uh, tents was a lot of what they did. And he goes from working to support himself which there was a time for that, to being supported by an offering that comes with Silas and Timothy as they come. One little sub-point here if you're taking notes. When you are going to find these friends that are going to encourage you, you need to have close friends that have, don't miss this, the same good goals that you have. It's easy to find somebody else who is a sports fan of your favorite team easy to find somebody else who likes the hobbies that you like but you need to surround yourself with individuals who have the same good goals that's one of the reasons why Paul was so encouraged here Aquila and Priscilla had the same goals that he had Silas and Timothy had the same goals that he had he was able to live with Aquila and Priscilla and work with them and preach and now as his friends come he gets word They bring him word that the church in Thessalonica was thriving. Does that sound like a common goal that Paul would have with them? He's so excited. This church that got started, it's doing great, the church in Thessalonica. And also they bring with him an offering, an offering from the church at Philippi. And he receives that offering that frees him up 
to dedicate all his time to the ministry. Now let me talk just for a little bit about this. And if you're new here to Calvary, um, let me just say this. I can probably count in four and a half years on one hand how many times I talk about giving and financial giving. Having said that, it's in God's word. So if we don't cover it, I'm not being faithful somewhere. So let me give us some very practical applications about giving, and it applies here very much so because the Apostle Paul had to work to subsidize his ministry, and then he came to a place where he did not have to work as a tent maker anymore because enough money came from that church at Philippi so that he could devote himself completely to the Word of God. Here they are. They're very, they're very simple and very practical, and I want you to take these away, and I want you to pray over these. Prayer is even in the first one here. When we talk about giving, I want to encourage you to, to financially support your church. And I can't get away from church, all right? God established it. It's not going away. I know some people might say, I don't have confidence in that ministry. I'm going to give it somewhere else. God gave us the church. The church is going to continue. You need to be a part of that. Support giving to your church that is regular, that is planned, and that is prayed over. That's one kind of giving, regular giving, planned giving. I picture myself in this way, and maybe many of you are this way, because we have a time where we say we're worshiping through our giving, and that's appropriate. I think in this kind of giving, it's almost just as much worship as you are sitting down, going over your finances. If you're older like me, you're writing an actual check. Some of you young people don't know what that is, I know. Writing a check, and it's a form of worship when you sit down and you write that check out to God. It's planned. It's saying, I have confidence in God's plan of the church. And you pray over that. And it's regular. I know that we need to improve in this way. Maybe you can improve in this way. Pray over that. I'm not going to get into tithing or, or not tithing. I have a great, great friend that taught and preached tithing, very much so. I have another great, great friend that taught not tithing. You know, give abundantly. Give out of how God blesses you. You can study that out for yourself. My experience is a lot more people spend more time arguing about that than actually being faithful in their giving. And so you need to give through regular planned and prayed over giving. And the second one is this. And this is difficult sometimes because you're going to have to very intentionally leave yourself some room. Leave yourself some margin. But you need to be open to giving as the Holy Spirit directs you. I see that throughout the scriptures. I've seen that throughout my life with individuals. And this is hard for some because many people don't even know how to live on 90% of their income and have freed up that 10%. How many young folks are living on 105% of their income, right? And you get down the road and you're accumulating all this debt. And so there's no place for margin. You have no place where if the Holy Spirit tugs on you to encourage somebody and say, I want to help out in this way, buy them some groceries or pay for a meal, or some kind of, of a ministry that you have a heart for and you're, you're completely stretched. So while the first point talks about planned, you do need to plan a little bit here. Give yourself some extra. I can remember years ago talking with a friend of mine who was mature beyond his years. And he said, no, 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 I planned in this to be able to use this sporadically. S planned to use it sporadically. Does that make sense? Okay, I know I, I confuse myself sometimes, but... He was very much so giving himself margin so that the Holy Spirit could direct. And I'm just going to let you know, this is a sweet place for you to be. 
for you to be able to see a need and say, I have exactly something that can help that need, and to do that. And we don't go and ding, 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 ring the bell so everybody knows it. We do it because the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do that. And this is a great place for us to be when God gives you a burden in some way. I love the fact that the Apostle Paul was willing to work so that he was not a burden to those people at Corinth before there was a church there. And also he would receive the gift from Philippi. And that's hard for some people. Some of you don't like somebody to buy your lunch, do you? I know what it's like. I've seen people fight over the check. I get that. I understand that. Understand, for individuals to be able to serve, there has to be somebody there that is being served. Now, we don't have to look real far sometimes to find folks like that, but maybe some of you need to allow yourself to be served in some way. Regarding confidence in our giving, here's what came to my mind with both of these points. When you give, whether it's a set amount or you're obeying the Holy Spirit's leading, you're demonstrating confidence in a couple different things. You're going to demonstrate confidence, first of all, you're going to, say, you're going to dem- demonstrate confidence in God that he's going to meet your needs. So when you're sitting down, you're counting the cost, you're praying over this, you are going to demonstrate your confidence in God as he meets your need, and then also confidence in the place where you are giving. You need to be confident in the place where you're putting your money. And I don't want to talk too much more about money. I think it very much applies here. And very possibly some of you needed to hear this message. But even if if your mind works like mine and you just think, you know, if we had 25 families in the church that said, I'm going to give 25 more dollars a month, I mean a week, $25 a week more, I'm going to give sacrificially. If we had 25 families represented to do that, do you know how much that would be a year? Some of you math guys might have already figured it out. That's $30,000 a year. Let me, just, let me just give a rabbit trail here for a second. I think one of the, for me, when you read scriptures, oftentimes you're thinking, okay, is, it's the Bible, so we believe it. It's legit. But sometimes when something gets written, we automatically maybe have some censors go up. Is that really true? The Apostle Paul said something later on when he talked about people giving, where he wrote this. The Apostle Paul wrote, he said, I give, not so I can receive the gift, but because you guys are going to get fruit to your account. You remember that when he said that? Now, the average person reading that is going to think of the Apostle Paul, yeah, sure, buddy. You want them to give, not so you can get it, but for fruit to their account. It's so true. The Church of Philippi understood this. They could give so that they were worshiping God in such an incredible way. And you need to have confidence in what is going on. I'm going to ask you to pray about having confidence in where God has put you. Being confident in Calvary means that you want to encourage our main objectives. In case you are not familiar with our main objectives, they are worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. Everything that we do, every effort we make, all the money that is given, everything goes towards one of these four things, worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. And it will mean if you're supporting, if you really believe in our worship, that you're here. You know, sometimes just being present can be an encouragement. Just showing up might be a way that you can serve. Maybe it's having confidence in our instruction, learning from God's word. I'm gonna talk in my 20s and 30s class later on, and we're gonna talk about which one of these might be tougher than another, which one might not be needed. And I already know, if you want some good teaching, 
You can go online, you can go right on your smartphone if you have one, and you can bring up sermons a whole lot better than maybe what you're getting here this morning. The idea as we join together is oftentimes there's something different. There's something different when we ask the Holy Spirit to be involved in this place. I've given that illustration from years ago uh, from Martin Lloyd-Jones when he was uh, preaching and he didn't want it recorded because he believed very much so that the involvement of the Holy Spirit was something that was so sweet in that time. Learning and teaching God's word. By the way, maybe you need to be teaching God's word, serving in this way. And then uh, fellowship, serving others in some way. And then giving financially, we've already talked quite a bit about. And you say, what if I can't give very much? You don't need to worry about that. You don't need to worry about if you can give very much. That's really, uh, that's where something supernatural comes in. I asked you before, we referenced a practical application of when we do something and expect God to get involved. Let me quickly, just for an illustration, show you something. When I went to Israel, I um, thought I had it with me. And so there it is. It's small. little tiny. It's in my hand right now. When I went to Israel, I wanted to get one souvenir for myself. I got souvenirs for others. I wanted one souvenir for myself. And I was trying to figure out what to get. And, um, you know, you can get a nativity set from the Holy Lands. Wouldn't that be kind of neat? A couple guys bought a shofar. That was kind of cool to have that. And I went to one store where we had some time, and they were selling some things. And this is what I walked away with. I know nobody can see this. Not even the front row can hardly see that, right? I'll hold it in the light. This is a coin. It's a genuine coin from Jesus' day. And the coin was the exact same coin that they would use when Jesus walked in this world. And this is actually a mite. It's a widow's mite is what this is. And of all the things that we can get, And we can think of, you might wonder about that, but what this does for me is it tells me what an omnipresent, all-powerful, omniscient God can do with the smallest little thing. You don't need to worry about the amount you can give necessarily. You need to be faithful. And that woman, the widow, she gave sacrificially. And God did something that, listen, we're going to talk about it for eternity. That widow's might. We're going to talk about for eternity, I know for a fact, because it's recorded in God's word, and we will have God's word forever. Wonderful reminder, wonderful souvenir for me. If you want to see it later on, I'd be happy to show it to you. So we need to have confidence in what we are giving to, and we need to wrap up. I haven't even got to my second point yet. Sorry about that. Responding to God to sacrifice financially requires you have a confidence in God and a confidence in where you're giving to. And then also, how does... God encouraged Paul. He encourages him through the fruit. Look at verse number six with me. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So very, very quickly here, can you get the picture? So Paul is there. He's been going on the Sabbath. He's been preaching the gospel, trying to tell them from the Old Testament scriptures, everything that you've been looking for in a Messiah was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he gets to the point where he has to give up on that now. 
And it's a very vivid picture. The, 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 the picture is this. Your, you had your opportunity, but now it is over. I am leaving. Your blood is on your own heads, is what he says. And in this chapter, and we'll maybe get into this a little bit next week, in this chapter, in these first 10 verses of Acts 18, we find the paradox between the responsibility of man choosing God and the other side of how God chose man before the foundations of the world. And you might say, aren't, aren't those two very, very different things? And I'd say, yeah. And you might say, are you saying both those things are taught in the scriptures? And I'd say, yeah. I get phone calls on a regular basis asking me about this, individuals who want to come and see our church. And this is a very, very sticky issue with so many but let me just encourage you. You can study it out. Go nuts. It's wonderful to, to study this out, these deep, deep issues. But let me just encourage you not to get bogged down. You're never going to fully understand it. It is a paradox. And don't let that worry you either because the incredible, beautiful, full mind of God, when we try to understand, we bring that down to our minds, clearly we're going to miss something, right? I know I do. I know you're going to. So don't allow yourself to be bothered if the mind of God does not make sense in the mind of man. And we find a great picture here, don't we? He's there preaching week after week after week. And it almost seems very dramatic. I'm done. Your blood be on your own heads for not accepting this. I am going. I'm gone. I have the picture of him going out the front door and taking a right, walking about 28 steps, taking a right and going into the house next door. And there he is. And people will be able to hear the message again because he would be so close, a wonderful place. And Titus Justice got saved and Crispus got saved and the Bible tells us that many others got saved. This is one of God's plans to encourage you, that you see the fruit. I think sometimes we have to wait years to see the fruit. I think there's going to come a day where maybe a lot more fruit will be revealed, but I think God allows us to see the fruit here in this world, in this life. And we see that by these individuals that got saved. Let me share one story in closing with you. I do have a takeaway. We'll go through it very quickly. But let me share one story in closing. I, was, um, I really do have a heart for other pastors and other ministers. It is a hard job. I'm not going to you know, say that too much, but it's difficult I was visiting with a pastor friend of mine in the past probably about 18 months and we were at a conference together, a teaching style conference and had a great time and it was at his church. So afterwards, he walked me around and he showed me his church and this friend of mine from college who's really got a good head on his shoulders and really looks like he could really have an impact amazingly in ministry and I think it was one of the first things he said out of his mouth he said, yeah, I'm seriously considering leaving. One of the first things he said to me, I hadn't talked to him in years. And so we talked and he told me some of the struggles he was going through and some of the hard times. And let me cut to what I shared with him and this isn't inspired and I'm sure maybe you can improve on it. But this is where I live as I talked to another minister friend of mine. I said, let me encourage you to look at two possible things. And if you like sports and he was a basketball player, he was a sports guy, what's the scoreboard say? And here's two things that we can encourage ourselves with. First of all, are we seeing individuals coming to Jesus Christ from the ministry? And that might mean some people that are getting saved from teaching and people in your flock that are going out. We've seen that here at Calvary. 
That might mean young people that are getting saved through the ministries, programs that we have here. So I asked that, are you seeing people coming to Christ? He said, yes, I am. I said, that should be a blessing and encouragement. Hold on to that. And then I said this, are you seeing people take that next step in their spiritual life? So they're producing more fruit or starting to produce fruit. They're clearly maturing. And he said, yes, I've seen that. And I said, hold on to those two things because those are two things that will be eternal. And I want to ask you, if you need encouragement, to look at this. Are you seeing some fruit from your life? Quickly, and I could talk about these um, for a long time. What can you do if you're taking notes? This is kind of long, but it goes right to worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. So very quickly, what can you do? Well, I'm going to say this. I want you to don't miss this because the first three words, I think, are the most important part of this. Count, or first four words, count it a joy to participate with others in worship. You can go online and hear a great sermon. You can go uh, and buy some music and hear great music. But you need to count it joy when you participate with others in worship. I promise you that was the last story. I'm going to give you one more story because I think it's funny. We, um, one of the wonderful blessings that we have here is we can bring in different individuals to have a concert here at Calvary. And usually that's a blessing to the folks that come. Some folks will travel from a long ways around. One of the ones that stands out to me with WMPC Sherathon concert was when we had Steve Green come in and sing. Um, that was the first year I was here, and what a blessing that was to have Steve Green. We set up extra chairs um, in the auditorium. We had two rows of chairs set up right here in the front, and I sat just, just right down here on the floor and sat next to Tina, and Steve Green singing right here, and he's gifted. Aren't you glad for people who are gifted musically like that? I sure am. And he is singing and we're there, and he's singing a song, songs that I know, and my lovely wife is sitting next to me, and she gave me some great counsel because she's on this side of me, and there's somebody I don't know on the other side of me right here. And as we're listening to this wonderful concert, I know the song. I am singing out about as loud as I feel comfortable singing in a room. I was going. I mean, I was worshiping God, and I was loving that concert, and I got this wonderful word of admonishment, admonishment that said this, I don't think that guy sitting next to you came here to hear you sing the entire time. <laughs> and, and she was right. I, I toned it down. I've seen him a couple times since. I see him around town. I've seen him a couple times since, and it's a funny story to me, and that was good counsel. Let me, let me just tell you something. With what we're doing here in this place, that is the point. You need to count it joy that you can sit next to someone else who knows Jesus Christ. And not only do they know them, but they are singing from something deep down within. And if we want to get controversial, let's go, let's go ahead and go one direction and then go full circle. How about those folks who are lifting their hands while they're singing? Can you appreciate them and not judge them when that's going on? And then to go full circle, how about those ones who never lift their hands when they're preaching? And can you accept that they are genuinely worshiping from something deep within and what a wonderful, beautiful thing we have here. So I might catch some flack for this later on, but sing it out. Let the person in front of you hear you singing. Count it a joy to participate in worship with others and then very quickly be a li lifelong learner. Maybe you need to be a teacher. There's great things going on. That's part of God's plan for his church. That's our instruction. And then fellowship, and I can preach multiple messages on fellowship, serving others through your church. I said before, sometimes just showing up is an encouragement. And by the way, sometimes to be the first is very hard. 
There are a lot of things where it's already going, so you don't have to be the first. You can join in with that wonderful group and then share Jesus' love with someone. Get some fruit by sharing the gospel, either someone that you're sharing it with or by giving financially so that Jesus can be shared all the way from Lapeer, Michigan, all the way down to South Africa. And the Hawkins family who are gonna come in a, in a couple months and give us a report about the fruit. Listen, about the fruit that you are producing if you pray for them, and if you give towards our missions program. That's fruit to your account. Every believer will produce fruit. How sweet is this? This is God's plan. There's two topics. One that I talk about a lot, the church and what we're doing. One that I don't talk about too much, money and finances. How sweet it is to be God's children, to be part of his plan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look up to you and I would come not with regret but just with a, with a feeling that very possibly I have not done this passage justice. And as we have some more encouragement that you're going to give the Apostle Paul this most beautiful encouragement of that vision and how you appeared to him to personally encourage him with that blessing that you are with him always and you are with us always. We thank you that we have that to look forward to even in our next study. But I would pray that there would be something that the Holy Spirit has done with this wonderful, beautiful story, this talk, that would change us. I don't know how many days each one of us has in this world. Help us not to waste those days. Help us to spend them in the most fruitful, most beautiful, wonderful way for eternity, for your glory, and for our good. So you encourage us as we walk. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron just to play through, just a stanza of a song. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, I wanna invite you just to pray at this time. Jesus Christ came down to this world and died on a cross for your sins so that you could ask him to save you and forgive you. Maybe you wanna pray that prayer at this time. Become a follower of his. If you've already done that, maybe there's something that the Holy Spirit was speaking to you about from our text today. Take just a moment to pray.